and now it's gone. Okay. <laughs> I had a wild dream last night I wanted to talk about. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to start with this. Sounds good. Do you get recurring dreams to start out? Like as a question? I've been getting a dream about my neighbor's truck. <laughs> like But like I don't remember until I wake up and it's just like the neighbor's truck pulling into the driveway and that's it. Are you just waking up and seeing the neighbor's truck pull in? No, I think it's because I, every morning I hear him get into the truck. Mm. And it's a really loud truck, like rickety. Mm. So you think about it every time you go to bed now? I guess so. kind of <laughs> weird. Um, <laughs> That's my recurring dream. I have like, and I couldn't even name them all, but probably like around five different scenarios that maybe play like two to three times a year. I've had for the uh, last at least like three years it's really weird and like you know you forget your dreams right so I can't name them to you but I had one of those this morning that's why I'm thinking about this Mm -hmm. and it's there's levels to it I don't understand still like um I think it could be a movie (laughs) it's like so like weird there's like a one element that's like my tribe and we're like more of like a modern, like our technologies are more modern. And then, but I, it feels more like a tribe than like just a group of people. Like we feel like a bigger family of like 30 to 50 people. And then like we're in this environment that's more forested, almost jungly. And there's like another tribe that's more primitive. That kind of whole motif, you know, of like a almost like army squad versus the savages quote unquote you know but like we're like running from something maybe i don't know what it is i don't know if it's just like trying to survive in this environment but like we keep on getting directed into each other and because we're already like on edge and don't want to like already have our defenses up i guess we fight and then like Uh, people die on both sides almost and then we break off and then it happens again and so like every dream is one interaction with these guys it's really weird it's kind of cool but i don't know why it happens and so there's that level of like this big family dynamic of like 30 to 40 people and like fighting other families almost and then within that And it's, like, got, like, the elements of, like, a noble savage and stuff like that. Like, you see humanity in them. It's really, like, jarring. And it's, like, why don't we just, like, be friends? Why why are we fighting? Because we're all, like, running from something. So we would have more hands if we just came together. It's, like, I always have these questions when I wake up. It's really weird. (laughs) And then within my family, I can always distinctly pick out one character that's my dad. He doesn't look like my dad in real life at all. He looks like if Hollywood casted him and then they picked a guy that looked nothing like him, but it was like that Hollywood dad figure. Mm. (laughs) But like, I look at him in my dream and I'm like, oh, dad. (laughs) And so, yeah, there's that because it's like, then I like trace a line to me and then I have like four or five younger siblings, some really younger and some like younger than me, but closer in age. And like, the other tribes using more primitive technologies like bows and spears, but we have like guns. Like I always had a gun on my hip the whole time, which is also weird because I've only shot a gun a couple of times. And then 
there's like I'm in my point of view. I'm not looking at this from a bird's eye perspective as some dreams are. And I'm um, like sometimes animals are trying to attack us and I'm shooting them or the other tribes people and stuff like that. It's really like real and violent almost. Um, and then there's a thought as I'm like shooting and missing some bullets of like if my dad was around more, I'd be more accurate because he would have taught me more things in general. But also it like translates into shooting because that's what's almost saving my life at that point. And then I guess like I just think about that towards my siblings. But then like he has like a leadership position. It seems like this is a long dream too. <laughs> like a leadership position, I think in the tribe. So that's it's like I have he has to split his time because he has to run this tribe. But then also like teach his kin as well. But in like there's like a frustration in me of like I wish he could just teach me so then I could protect myself better, you know. And then there's a third element. And I think there's like a like a gun theme to it of like, I don't know, like an argument for like self-protection with that of like being able to stand your ground against the environment, which would be like animals. And there's even like plants and stuff attacking you. It's like really wild or other people, you know, and it'd be nice if why not we all just get together as people. But at the same time, we're all attacking each other. So, yeah. That was my dream last night. <laughs> I know that was a lot. There's like the there's like a lot of themes in it though that I think about and I'm like this is interesting. It made me call my dad this morning. That's why I was a little late cuz I got a later start to my morning. And we just talked a bunch and I asked him about his business and stuff like that cuz I think the business represents like my dream dad's government position. Mm -hmm. So, any thoughts on that? I just, think it could be a movie. Let me honestly. just pull out my dream journal. Real yeah. quick. <laughs> I have a big interest in dreams, though. That's why I I, I sit well, and think on these. Books about it, right? Yeah, yeah. I've read stuff and I have resources to like connect dreams to different figures and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's still weird, like to come out of that. Uh -huh. Like my heart was beating when I woke up, and yeah, yeah. There's some parts I still remember, which you don't usually remember your dreams, you know? It's weird. <laughs> I don't know if you have anything to add to that. I want to. Is it like every time you have it, it's a, it's like a new episode? Is that what you're saying? It seems like it now, because I, I think if I can remember correctly, I've had it at least three times now. And every time it's like us, it like breaks into us. It's like an episode of a show almost. It just breaks into us like fighting this tribe. And then, like, escaping, and it's always a little different. And there's always this one weird thing that, like, sticks out to me, but I don't know why. And it's, like, on when we're, both of us are retreating, there's, like, I don't know what it is. There's something on the floor. It's, like, an artifact or something. And I want to go down and reach for it and grab it. And I'm, like, one of the last ones to get out and... I want to reach for it, but then they're telling me, no, it'll hurt us. And so I don't at the split second and then go and like, I don't know if I would have grabbed it and I would have died. Like they would have got me or like I grab it and something bad happens or what. You should try and grab it next time. I should grab it next time and see what happens. Bring it closer Sorry. <laughs> so I can hear you. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's weird, dude. It's a lot. That's a lot. And I don't, and most of the nights I just black out and wake up. Mm -hmm. If or I don't remember it, some people tell me what whichever the case. 
but like that's vivid and i wake up and i i think i have to think about it because it's like what is what is this Mm -hmm. it's not it's not nothing yeah you know like to have a sequence of things like that and then them all to string together and have a theme that's not nothing you know like I i don't get people that say dreams are random because like tv statics random that's random mm-hmm. having like reoccurring themes and almost plot lines and yeah maybe like weird dynamics are at play where your body's a washing machine and you're talking to your dog and stuff like that but that means something you know it's our brain trying to figure things out in the in in the back of the stage almost mm-hmm. you know do you get weird dreams do you have th- times like that i get weird dreams but i don't really remember them okay the car one that's weird because it's because it's reoccurring is that what's weird i've had it like i feel like this past week but i think it's just because i'm like getting ready to hear it in the morning Mm. (laughs) that's like a i usually have mundane ones where i'm like talking with friends too Mm -hmm. that's like (laughs) just a funny reoccurring thing of just like oh my neighbor's truck (laughs) (laughs) you know um yes that one's kind of odd i had a dream of about my friends the other day mm. that was a good dream people in our friend group no, my, one of my other friends. Other friends? Yeah, from nice. class. That was kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I didn't, I've just been so tired lately that I guess I just haven't been dreaming. How'd finals go for you? I didn't have any test finals, which was nice. Mm-hmm. I just had projects. Uh, one of my projects, I was basically complete with it. I just had to do one more step, and all of my data got erased, so that kind of sucked. Oh, yeah. that really sucks. I spent probably 10 hours on it. That's really sucky. Yeah. And you had to restart the whole thing? Kind of. It was for my, it's called GIS, Geospatial Information System. So it's like a mapping computer program. Okay. And I had, the project was I had to download my own data and convert it and everything from what's called raster data to vector data. So raster is okay. like elevation and I don't even know how to describe it. I can't, yeah. like, just picture it in my head. But it goes from, like, um, a big image to kind of, like, points and lines and okay. all of that. Does it, like, like codify? Kinda, it's, like, a different type of code that it has. Okay. And so that took a long time just because I there's so many, like, different ways to do it that mm. my friends and I were trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And then, so from there, you create your own what's called story problem where you try and figure out, like, where you would want a house, like, at what elevation do you want it? How far away from roads do you want it? How far away from streams do you want it? Stuff like that. And you basically just make your own. Mm-hmm. And then you put in all the tools to figure out the spots that you would have it. Mm-hmm. And so I'll, all I had to do, I created all the maps, was make a layout, which is basically the PDF version of it. And that was it. Okay. And then my data got corrupted. And I had to go to the computer like help desk at the library. And they were able to try and retrieve it. But then it, none of it opened, so I went to my professor's office hours, and she tried to open it, and she said, these are basically just bad images of what you already created. And all, literally all of my projects from the whole semester were on it. Oh. So the three credits that I took and spent numerous hours on got deleted. <laughs> so then did you just have to redo all of it? Well, we came up with a plan of... Because we have, like, class data. Mm-hmm. So instead of re-downloading all the data and everything, because, like, I have to wait for that to be sent to me. Because it's, like, a you order it from, like, the 
USGS service, geological service. Because you're using real data points mm -hmm. then, yeah. And so like you have to wait for that and then you have to convert everything and all that. So she, we agreed on me just using class data that we already had, but I still had to redo like mm -hmm. all of it. So yeah. I spent like an extra seven hours on the Jeez. project in the computer lab. Dude. And it was so freaking annoying. <laughs> <laughs> what does it look like? What does the end product look like? I can show you. Okay. I know I can't show you. Is there, the like, is it words or data points or a picture? It's a picture. Okay. That's so cool imagine, though. like, a Google Maps. Google Maps is basically GIS. Oh. So that shows up. And then you can change the formatting and the way it looks and everything. Um, let's see if I have a picture of it. And then from there, you turn it in, basically. Mm. You get to, like, color code it and stuff like that. It looks really cool. I kind of have a love-hate relationship with GIS because it's fun, but just all the bullshit that comes with it because the computer program just always crashes mm. is not fun. <laughs> Why does it crash? Because every student in natural resources has to take it, and it's just so much data oh. in such an old program mm. that weird things will happen, and literally all you have to do is come back the next day and it'll work. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's annoying then, yeah. Yep. Let me see if I can find it. <coughs> Yeah, like reliability of tools in general is mm -hmm. a big thing, especially for me where like small things like when your computer's slow and everything like that mm -hmm. or like I just had to have my car's brakes done and that's been annoying to deal with. I got you. Oh, that's sweet. You just scroll down. There's like eight of them that okay. I had to make. Where is this? Uh, oh, Connecticut. Connecticut. I previously wanted to, I tr planned to do it in um, Southern California. That'd be cool. Yeah. Do like one of your home areas. Yeah. I tried to find my dream house in Southern California. That'd be cool. <laughs> but. So what are the lines? Um, so it says that's a legend down there. Dream house. So what does dream house mean though? Like, so the areas that are red or whatever that color is, that's the spots where I could build my dream house according to the criteria that I came up with. Okay. And what were your criteria? Uh, my criteria. Is it like uh, the quality of soil? Or, oh, what the heck? <laughs> File's broken again. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I had to turn it in twice because I forgot to add something. So I think I just... Oh, here it is. My criteria... Wow. Criteria was 400 meters from any roads, 250 meters from rivers, 200 meters from water bodies... And the house should not be on a slope greater than 35 degrees and also in a low-intensity developed area. That's really cool, actually. So I had to I like that. do all of this. <coughs> which is either, These are all the processing mm -hmm. things that I had to do to figure that out. That's really cool. Yeah. I like that a lot. I didn't even know that was a thing, really. Yeah. It's like a big... All natural resources students have to take it because it's a big uh, requirement that a lot of organizations want now okay or if you do it like i could be on the computer for two hours and they pay like 18 dollars an hour yeah for it which Would i don't do want to do okay. <laughs> <laughs> like i already had so much trouble with it i don't want to do it anymore yeah. but, but would you be doing using somebody else's file system so maybe it'd be more reliable yeah i mean I, we could always like create our own data but that's just a long process yeah but that would come out of surveys and I don't know, like tests around the area mm -hmm. and stuff. Have you thought about what you want to do with your degree? Yes, but it's hard because I'm so specific in what I want to do. 
Why is that hard? That sounds to me that sounds easier. Uh, I don't know. I guess it's well. Okay, first I should. What is it? Say yes. what it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm in what's called human dimensions of natural resources, which is basically understanding the social aspects of the environment. So things like making sure that all different communities have a say in the environment and that conservation is uh, being put on in a equal way, although <laughs> that's a whole other yeah topic that I could touch on later. So when you, um, to clarify, when you say community, communities, uh-huh. is that of people or animals or all people. of it? Okay, people. Yeah, so okay. Uh, <coughs> different communities of color, different income uh, communities, making sure that everyone mm-hmm. has a say in sustainable practices and what's going on mm-hmm. in the environment around you. Okay. Um, so basically just creating that uh, connection between scientists and community mm-hmm. members who should be the ones creating those decisions. And then with that, there's a lot of conservation management involved, which there's a whole lot of bad things that go with mm-hmm. that that I can get into in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and then with that, I'm minoring in indigenous studies. So really have that niche of like, I want to work with indigenous communities without getting in the way and like, you know, stealing <laughs> their mm-hmm. knowledge, but really understanding how indigenous communities have worked with the environment for thousands and thousands of years because obviously they've been doing it correctly the most diverse areas biodiverse areas in the world are indigenous people's communities so Mm -hmm. um really understanding all of the incredible knowledge that they have and respectfully trying to figure out how to connect that with western science because it's very divided because a lot of western scientists believe that indigenous knowledge and indigenous science is not the way to go because it doesn't have, you know, all the crazy technology or what we think is crazy technology now. Like mm-hmm. computers aren't needed, surveys aren't needed because it's just all the knowledge is passed down mm-hmm. and their uh, connection with the environment is what creates that knowledge as well. So <laughs> it's, yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's a hard barrier because... Obviously, I don't want to like take over and be that, you know, white person that's trying to (laughs) be the savior. But I also just really want to learn from those communities and try and figure out ways to create more of a combination of sciences to make a better environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something I've been thinking about a lot. I've been reading from like my perspective of more like like you're going environmental Mm-hmm. to be general and i'm thinking more um <clears throat> like sports and exercise science and nutrition because I'm, I'm um reading this book called um nutrition and physical G- degeneration i always trip up on that word saying it too um and in the 1930s there was this dude who went to i think it was like over 20 different tribes i think mm-hmm. he went to many different tribes over different places in the world like up in canada u.s over like just different very isolated places and then watch as like there was a there's always like a transition and bridge point between like the isolated tribe between like a tribe that's near both but then has like more western um influence on it and then um the western cities itself and so he would look at all those and then take it from like a, he was a dentist, I think. So he was looking at teeth quality 
and how <clears throat> a lot of the um, isolated tribes on their own diets had the per most perfect straight teeth and no um, illnesses. One he always connects back to is like tuberculosis. Um, and then as you see more of these, and he uh, connected it to the foods, um, more Western foods. And this was 1930s foods, so it's a little different than now, but still pretty same. Um, the more like crooked teeth and problems with um, pulling teeth or straightening or um, cavities as well. They called them dental caries back then, which mm -hmm. I didn't know. Um, so stuff like that. And so trying to understand like their actual diet with um, what's different with our Western diet now. So that's what you said that made me kind of think about that. Um, <clears throat> I forget the name of the tribe, but there was one up in Canada where they're pretty heavily um, eat off uh, caribou and a lot of meats mm -hmm. because it's so cold for most of the year and snowy, I, I believe, that there's not a lot of fruits or vegetables to even be harvested. And none of them had scurvy because you would think like it's either vitamin C or D that you have a deficiency in and can lead to things. Mm -hmm. And there's a, I think it was the adrenal gland. They'll cut out of the every caribou they kill and they distribute an even piece of that to everybody in the tribe and the little bit of vitamin, I think it was vitamin C in that, was enough to keep people at healthy levels and not develop other diseases. Mm -hmm. So, like, stuff you're talking about like that, just intuitive knowledge, like, how did they figure that out, you know? Yeah. For one, is but a But it's thousands question. of years of Of doing it, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's, that's what everyone should have a connection with nature with. But Western views and technology has just totally... Overshadowed Destroyed it. our connection with nature. Mm -hmm. Um, and even conservation, that's, I just wrote a seven page paper about how indigenous connections with nature are romanticized within Western culture mm -hmm. and how conservation, Western conservation just is so terrible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, so start from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when we first grow up, we learn a lot about indigenous culture but in a very americanized way of oh they were on the land and thanksgiving happened and then there was pocahontas who fell in love with these westerners and helped them explore the world really none of that actually happened <laughs> um you know indigenous peoples have been living in the americas for ever and then english people and spanish people came over and were like wow look at all these cool resources we're going to destroy the area and take advantage of you all um and so one of the main examples that i used was pocahontas actually i watched it with sophie i was like <laughs> sophie we're doing research and so i haven't watched that movie since i was really young and just watching it again i was like how were we allowed to watch this like they're the one of the first songs is about how they're they want to destroy indigenous culture like straight up like they don't even hide it mm -hmm. they call indigenous people savages which is not okay and if anything the westerners are savages because they're you know committing genocide and all that um and it's just crazy like how much they romanticize nature with when they show nature from the indigenous perspective when they show pocahontas for the first time it's like all flowy and there's pretty flowers and everything is like really vibrant and then when the westerners come on they're like, whoa, look at this crazy nature and all of that. And it's, you know, Pocahontas is in the actual story of Pocahontas. She was like a 10-year-old girl who was taken advantage of by these 
Englishmen who, because they wanted to f- figure out ways to get more resources in the area. And so it's movies like that and the U.S. history textbooks that we get in school that just totally neglect everything that actually happened and has created this idea of indigenous people as people who used to be here, people who aren't here anymore. They're not present. They were in the past. And a great example of how this has affected our just Western society in general is when I'm on tours, because I'm a tour guide at CSU. So when I'm on tours and I tell people about my minor, they're like, oh, like your minor sounds so cool. Are there even any indigenous people like here? Are they just in New Mexico? I'm like, how stupid are you? Like, indigenous people this is their land like we're on their land right now so they're here (laughs) they're not just in new mexico (laughs) and it's like parents asking me this and it's i'm like embarrassed for them the fact that they like are just so ignorant (laughs) about everything um and so that's very frustrating because it just goes to show like how obviously like ignorant our whole country is about our past and you know the main idea within indigenous culture that I've learned a lot through a lot of the really awesome classes I've taken with some really awesome professors is indigenous culture is at the same time present in the future and in the past. There's a resurgence of indigenous culture that is going on right now that comes a lot from like what social media and activism that has been displayed uh, throughout the past few months. Well, actually forever, but has just been acknowledged throughout the past few months. Um, And then, you know, classes that I'm taking, like, within my minor and everything. But it's just so frustrating how ignorant people are about all of that. And, you know, I'll tell people about my views of Indigenous culture within conservation that I have um, built over the classes that I've taken. And they're just kind of like, whoa, I never thought about that. Especially in natural resources, like in my majors, because it's like, kind of scary (laughs) a lot of my professor or at least one of my professors he was my wildlife uh bio professor or something i don't even remember what class but i would always mention the indigenous perspective of the management practices and he would just kind of like put me off and i'd be talking in front of like 80 students so i was like i was courageous (laughs) doing this um and then finally he went to a talk about the wolf reintroduction in fort collins and an indigenous community member Uh, talked for a little bit about his perspective and then finally at that class he's like yeah so I heard about this perspective I've never thought about it before I'm like dude you have been a professor for like 25 years teaching this stuff and the fact that you've never thought about the indigenous perspective in your science is concerning (laughs) it's just so frustrating that a lot of the professors don't see it that way Um, within my major there's, it's a little bit better, I would say, just because we're more social-based. But it's, I'm just very concerned that they have never thought about that. Um, and especially when it comes to conservation management, you know, we always think of conservation as creating these national parks and uh, wildlife as pristine and untouched, whereas nature should be touched by humans. That's the whole point of it. We're supposed to live in harmony. I know that word sounds kind of cheesy but literally in harmony with nature by uh understanding the different natural ways and the different ways we connect with nature through our eating habits and you know the way we take care of the land and everything and so when 
conservation like these national parks are created which was created by a very racist man john muir um it just totally neglects and uh, adds to the racism towards indigenous people because with those national parks indigenous people were living in the area but they wanted to create a national park that was pristine and untouched and so they removed those people from the area which is not okay um it's like being removed from your childhood home because people want to build a industrial building like I know it's a different than that but you know as one comparison um and then along with that when it comes to conservation in what's you know quote-unquote undeveloped areas or undeveloped countries um it's white scientists going to places like South Africa or Kenya or like whatever country that people see as uh, one that's not technologically advanced um, and using those areas and the animals that are in those areas like gorillas or mountain gorillas stuff like that using that as an excuse to colonize the area through conservation so we call that fortress conservation like colonizing it because they want the gorilla as a resource or no because the people indigenous people live there they take care of the land but western scientists are like oh these gorillas are gonna go extinct so we're gonna take over the area we're gonna Uh, remove you from the land and then put in our own conservation practices which normally destroy the economics and social environment (laughs) and normally the environment in general and then add tourism into it ecotourism Mm -hmm. um and so with that it's basically colonialism just because of the way they uh, create those policies of oh you can't go back onto your land because this is now our land Uh, we will use these resources when we want to um do you want a different headset no it's good i have a second i have a third one no it's good i fixed it okay okay (laughs) i know you're messing with it and then um you know with tourism it's like whenever you think of going on a safari or anything, you think of, oh my gosh, I'm going to come from California or Colorado and spend however much money to go on a safari to go look at nature. Because we think that that's wildlife, pristine wildlife that's never been touched. But, you know, obviously there's a bunch of indigenous communities that have been involved with that nature forever. Mm -hmm. And we're just too ignorant to say, oh, there's nature in our backyard. Why don't we just connect with the nature in our backyard rather than having to go all the way to a different country, a different continent to look at <laughs> someone else's nature, mm-hmm. basically, um, because then it's romanticizing indigenous people's connection with the environment. Do you think there there is no place for tourism or uh, like somebody from... Um, I, the word that came to mind was like outsourcing, like mm-hmm. outsourcing your um, your nature time, honestly, because yeah. you're going out um, is what I mean by that. And um, do you think there's no place for like somebody from California visiting somewhere in Africa or someone in Ireland visiting somewhere remote in um, Australia? Do you think there's no place for that or there could be like some space made for that? Or what do you what are your thoughts on that? I think there could be some space made for it. It's just it should be. The decision of the communities that live there and not these western scientists that come in and take over the area mm-hmm. and say okay now you can come in and look at the animals mm-hmm. okay so 
taken taking them into account then yeah because we're just totally neglecting the people that actually live there Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) it's and all of their knowledge that they've had of the area for thousands of years it's like oh we actually know better even though we just learned about this species like 40 years ago (laughs) yeah it's such bullshit (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it's like just because we use computers we know better Mm -hmm. (laughs) really it's yeah i feel like the technology that's used now in that Western science is, if anything, less advanced. Mm-hmm. Advanced. Yeah. Can you picture what that would look like if we well integrated well, where we maybe had a little bit of tourism, but then also still left space for the native population of those areas? Can you picture what that would look like if, like, you could set it up the correct way? What that can you could um, you think of that? No, but I also think that it's not my place to think of that because it's just adding to us wanting to take over the area. Well, you said that there could be room for it. So I was just curious what that room would look like if you had an idea of it. I don't know. It's hard to say just because I'm not the one that is indigenous to that land. I'm not the one that uh, knows what type of connection should be had with that land. Okay. So I think it's not my place to say what it would look like okay and that's the whole problem of it Mm -hmm. of us of you know white scientists or western scientists being like oh i actually know better than you Mm -hmm. when really you don't (laughs) or i don't yeah um yeah i don't know a lot about this stuff so it's interesting Mm -hmm. because you're you're in it you know (laughs) um the only like i don't know the only counterpoint i would be curious on what your thoughts are of like I've heard that like when you buy like an animal tag, whether it's in the States or like a rhino tag somewhere Mm -hmm. in Africa, that money is then reinvested into the conservation of the land and stuff like that. So doesn't that kind of help out the environment in that sense where and depending on how it's set up, I've heard systems of like this is a particular rhino or gorilla or moose that is or um at a fourth uh, mountain lion that is like threatening communities and killing people or livestock or something like that, where we have a particular tag out and because, and also because there's a scarcity thing to it, you can have a higher bid. And so there's more money generated. And then that one person, whether it was bought within the continent or from some other country, you know, and then that person goes in is allowed to kill it and then takes their picture, takes their meat, takes, whatever from that one and then heads out what do you what are your thoughts on that so okay remind me i have two points about this i'm gonna forget okay (laughs) so the first one when it comes to tags and all that um hunting is definitely needed to keep a sustainable ecosystem it's just making sure that you do it properly Mm -hmm. and that this isn't my i don't know a lot about this but (laughs) from what i've learned in some classes like it's just making sure that you do it properly and you're not taking advantage of those animals. The One of the main things that a lot of, that I find uh, like killing game and everything is disrespectful in a way is when people just do it for the picture or for like to cut the head off and put it on their wall. Mm-hmm. Because the whole, within indigenous cultures, a lot of it is this animal is giving itself up to you as a gift and you need to respect that gift by using every part of the animal for uh, clothing, for food, for shelter, 
all of that because it gave itself to you. And when people just kill it to kill it, like to kill a coyote because they're like, oh my God, I just killed a coyote. I'm a strong guy and I have all this masculinity. <laughs> like, it's just, I just think it's so disrespectful and ignorant mm-hmm. um, and just goes to show like what our society is like um, because they're just taking advantage of that animal when, and just really minimizing it to a thing mm-hmm. rather than a they, mm-hmm. rather than something else or some they else, I guess you could mm-hmm. say. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why I think game tags and all of that are a difficult line because you got to make sure that when you do it, you do it for the right reasons. Um, when it comes to, oh, go ahead. But if it like, if it generates this money that would go back into the ecosystem and for this, I I don't, and I don't know a lot on this. This is just the few things I've picked up Mm -hmm. from hearing about it um would you be would it be okay to just like let one slide especially if it was one that was particularly aggressive or whatever and we just wanted it taken care of and then just however that person wants to treat it if they only want the head they take the head back to the u.s and then have somebody on standby to take the rest of the animal so that the um, pelt and meat and everything isn't gone to waste you know And waste is hard because, like, decomposers would still fall on it and stuff like that. So waste is, like, and other scavenger animals and stuff like that. But then you could either just take the rest of the body to the tribe or whatever, and then they can do their thing with it. I don't know. Like, could we just, like, let them (laughs) do their thing? So you're saying go to a different country to do this? Because it happens in the U.S. too. It happens everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the whole, the whole thing is like if we go to a different country to do it, mm-hmm. that's still colonialism because we're do, we're going to a different country to kill these animals, whereas there's a community there that uses that uses those animals for their daily needs. Because going to a different country and killing like a rhino or whatever, mm-hmm. which is also incredibly illegal right now, mm-hmm. um, is just showing that colonial tourism. And then also, who's to say that that money actually goes back into conservation? Yeah, we could pay that, but we don't know where that money actually goes. Mm-hmm. And that conservation is that colonial version of conservation. Yeah. And when it comes to, okay, if we say that that money goes back to the community, not every community has a monetary value like we do. Not every community values money in the same way that America, uh, North Americans do. You know, so when we're saying, okay, we're going to give money back to these people, they probably just don't even care about the money because the way of their living is very connected to the area that they're in. Maybe they trade instead of paying for things with whatever dollar amount that they have. Like, it's just so single minded Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and like it doesn't account for all the cultural differences around the world. Well. I have a couple of thoughts. Um, do you think that like in this, I guess, example I'm trying to lay out, like the word colonialism might be a little too extreme if th- if this particular system was 1% or 0.1% of the animals being hit by outsiders? No. Isn't that a little... Because isn't col- it, my idea of colonialism is like coming in and becoming the majority force, 
becoming no not necessarily okay because if you're still killing that point one you're still making it a major impact on that area but again what if it was like a a particular animal that was threatening people and livestock and their own their own way of life who's to say that the animal okay one of the other problems i have okay with this okay is going to be a long way back to that question okay within western society we use a binary that is very strict good and bad mm-hmm. saying an animal is good or bad based on them having to survive by eating cattle by uh, protecting themselves through their version of protecting themselves up Western society sees it as violence. Like that's totally degrading the whole situation and natural ecosystems. Yeah. It's, a, it's an unfair binary. Yeah. But like, a, like what I'm thinking is like here, if we had a mountain lion killing cattle that then affects the supply chain where there's not enough meat to be distributed so that people will have a harder time or even, go hungry and that in a and that can happen in any place like ours would be a mountain lion here but then a particularly aggressive lion or something like that is what i would imagine in other areas right so there there are there's not that's not the majority or anything like that but there are some examples of those right well yeah but when it comes to those animals like i'm sure within those cultures they have their own ways of dealing with that that doesn't have to include killing those animals <laughs> okay you know like they have oh what's the word they have their own conservation strategies and oh, I forget the do you word. have any examples of those strategies um unfortunately not right now but okay. um when it comes to farming like organic farming i guess one of my favorite documentaries is called The Biggest Little Farm you've seen we've it, talked right? about yeah. it yeah oh, you haven't seen it i haven't seen it we um, talked about it and it's basically this family creating a farm out of nothing and making it completely organic, no pesticides uh, when it comes to um, animals coming in and like eating their crops or uh, eating or, you know, attacking their cattle, quote unquote attacking. um, They find ways to fix that situation, I guess, find a solution for that without having to kill those animals whether that be getting guard dogs so that they scare off the coyotes or um, making little barns for owls to come and eat all the weasels. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. think they eat actually weasels, but <laughs> or gophers, you know? Yeah. So it's finding that solution that helps play into the ecosystem, creating mm-hmm. that circle of the ecosystem mm-hmm. to create a better <laughs> way of uh-huh. all those animals cohabitating cohabitating i'm gonna use that word cohabitating with each other where do you think um like hunting fits into the picture then of all this because there is a place for that right Mm -hmm, definitely where do you think that fits in i think it fits in with what i was talking about easier uh earlier like only take what you need that's the whole Mm -hmm. ordeal with how unsustainable we are right now is we don't take what we need we take what we want okay yeah. Do you have examples of that? I'm trying to, pi- I can't picture that. Meaning just food, food in general, like our over consumption of food, even though, and like all of the food waste that we have in the U S comes from, Oh, we're like, Oh, this, this potato looks cool. We're going to try and eat it. But then, you know, we leave it in the fridge for four weeks. We forget about it. And we're like, okay, we'll just throw it out. Mm-hmm. It's like taking what we want as a food, what we think we might want 
rather than just what we need. Because if we just took what we need, there would be so much less food waste. Everyone would have enough food to sustain themselves. There wouldn't be people who don't have, you know, proper diets and proper, um, you know, everyday meals. So if we were to just take what we need, <laughs> then I think our country and our whole world would be much more sustainable. Okay. How does that fit into the realm of hunting? Because when you're talking about the potato, I'm picturing like going to the grocery store and picking something out. Well, when it comes to hunting, like when people get the tags to mm -hmm. hunt, a lot of people will just buy a bunch or I don't know how that whole process works, but I'm guessing they just like buy a bunch. I know you buy like a tag for the whole season, but um, they'll just like go out there a bunch just for like the thrill of it. Mm. So it's not, it's not like a, instead of it being a job and a part of the lifestyle, it's a thrill. It's like a sport, which mm -hmm. it shouldn't be a sport. What should it be? It should be a need for your survival in okay. my opinion. Okay. Not necessarily survival, but just like having the food and the to resources you need to feed yourself. Okay. I guess I don't know a lot of hunter. I don't know. I know a few, I guess. Um, but then the ones I just see through the interwebs, you know, the people I don't know, but have observed, they have maintained that standard that I've seen. And there's obviously always bad eggs in the batch. But for the most part, what I've seen, they've uphold, held that standard, I guess. So it seems like we're doing good right now. I, I guess I know hunting's not your expertise. Yeah. But I guess that's where my fascination is. I mean, a big one is with coyotes mm -hmm. um, and wolves, I believe, especially in Wyoming. Was it Wyoming or Montana? I think it's Montana. Um, basically, the governments are taking the sides of the farmers and allowing for more people to hunt wolves. I don't remember if it's wolves or coyotes. One of those. Hunting predators. Hunting, yeah, hunting those apex predators um, basically to their extreme limits which is not only hurting ecosystems, but destroying the whole populations of those and creating that species to become endangered, but they're not being put on the endangered species list because of, you know, government's money and, and okay. bureaucracy and all mm -hmm. of that. Um, I think it's coyotes. I it's hope coyotes, I, right? I hope I don't have this wrong. Well, what I was going to say is like, they're particularly hard to deal with from the other perspective where I hope I'm not getting this wrong. This is some Us going off there. of what we think we yeah, know, <laughs> what we think we know, which is always great. But I was hearing something about how they've done studies where I believe it was coyotes where they killed a coyote where when you kill a coyote, somehow like nearby females will sense that i don't know the range or anything like mm -hmm. that but maybe even they understand there's a hole in the pack you know and they'll they've been able to see and observe like when you kill like a male or female that the male the females are more likely to go into estrus and be ready to produce more offspring is what i've heard so i i've heard a differing perspective where they're out of hand and they're mm -hmm. too hard to deal with. And that was one thing they connected to was like, when you kill one females go into estrus and they'll have three more, which might be a little bit of an overstatement, but something like that is so what then I've heard. Why are we trying to kill them all and not just survive with them? Like all these animals, 
well, are, are so much smarter than we give credit to. <laughs> they're very smart. I don't disagree with that. But what if they're, they have, what if their population is at a peak right now because they can sustain themselves off of our livestock? What if that's the problem at play? Do you think? No. Why not? I don't have I don't have the knowledge to okay. really back it up just off of Could you imagine that being the case in some I can understand why that could be a thought, but from everything that I've heard from professors and all these talks, especially with um how critical it is right now, like there's so many there's so much other wildlife out there um for them to go to but then at the same time a lot of that wildlife is becoming endangered and all of that because of human practices so that's why those coyotes and wolves are going to cattle because mm. the prey that they normally go for is declining from other human mm -hmm. actions yeah i could see that for sure yeah yeah where yeah there's a human pressure that um is hurting other smaller species that the coyotes would normally eat and so then they kind of switch to our own livestock mm -hmm. yeah and so i could see like a maybe solution there being we bump up those other lower species that we've kind of harmed pretty hard right and then i don't know i think even if you propped them up, I wonder how hard it would be for the coyotes to transition away from our livestock because they're like, they're fish in a barrel at that point. They're a little easier to hit than like something more in the wild is. I think it would be easier than you think okay. just because that's what they're born to do. Yeah. Well, they're <laughs> they're born to, to keep living. Yeah. And so if they would choose the easier meal is but, what I'm I mean, getting if, at. If they're native prey were to increase again i'm sure that they would go after those prey because because they have a preference for i'm sure they do and also because then they don't have to go near people people are scary <laughs> <laughs> humans are freaking scary and so the more of an opportunity to be away from human or society like mm -hmm. the more they'll go for other species because they'll like all these animals are aware of our presence, what we can do. Mm. And so when they go to, um, you know, get cattle and eat cattle, it's because they don't have any other choice. They don't want, they don't want to be around humans. Are you mm -hmm. kidding me? We're mm -hmm. fucking gross. <laughs> <laughs> so like they'll do everything they can to be, not be around us. So if their natural prey increases, they will likely go towards that instead. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't have much to add after yeah. that. That was interesting, though. Do you have any other thoughts? Any thoughts? I don't know. That's, I mean, that's just like the basics. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a white person, so obviously We're... I don't know a lot. I'm still learning a lot about it, and mm -hmm. I'm super excited, especially because I'm working with um, a few of my professors within the Indigenous Studies minor who have taught me a lot, and... Mm -hmm you know, are not afraid to call me out, which I really appreciate. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, like I'm excited to learn more about it and mm -hmm. find ways to work with indigenous communities in a respectful way. Mm -hmm. So you don't have an opinion on the state of how things should be right now. 
Is that fair to say? Because you're still learning? It doesn't mean I can't have an opinion about it. Okay. So if you could set things up properly, what are the particulars of like how things should be put together? Is what I'm getting at with that. That's a question that's like so out of my league. Okay. <laughs> but that's what I was getting at. Yeah. Was like, I, it's not for me to say. Like I'm not the one that's being affected by thousands of years of okay. colonialism. But so this is what like... I was trying to connect to is like you said you could have an opinion. So I'm just curious what that opinion is. Okay. Yeah. I mean, okay, I guess to put it into better perspective. Like... And obviously we want to integrate this with the natives and everything like that. Yeah. I 100% mm-hmm. agree with that. But like at some point there's going to be a part of you in it, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious what yeah. that is. So I guess my – what I see as like – a goal is um, when you look at New Zealand, which is, you know, an incredible indigenous population there, but obviously has been colonized. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I have seen, that is the only country that has created a conservation plan where indigenous communities have the main voice in it. Um, so they're a good example to look at. I think they're a good example. Obviously, okay. there's probably a lot to change and. I need to do more research on it, but my goal would be to go there and kind of learn from that governing system and conservation system and try and bring back some of those strategies to the U.S. I know that's a big thing to, no, that's <laughs> to awesome. ask, but yeah. it would be learning from them and figuring, trying to understand those ways in which indigenous communities do have that main voice while also Western science having a small part in it. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, yeah, obviously indigenous science is more, probably more reliable, but there still is, um, some things to offer from Western science as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's the goal is to understand those strategies and understand those logistics, I guess, and, um, community respects and bringing that or helping create that as a main portion of the U S within our governing body. Okay. Yeah. Can, do you have any examples of what they're doing right right now that you can think of, or are you still looking into that? I mean, a big one is they're changing the name of New Zealand back to the indigenous name. Okay. Uh, which I don't remember the name right now, <laughs> and you I know would when probably going to be butcher in it. place. Um, I think it's either already in place or like happening soon. Mm. I could look it up right now. Although okay. you probably don't want me to do that, but um. <laughs> um. Yeah, because I've always, like, I love these ideas, and it's really good to just connect it back to the closest thing to our examples, mm-hmm. you know, from different, it's not, nations? I don't even know. Different places that are doing it right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, Taylor's so, looking it up. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, so there's definitely petitions and everything. I definitely heard... A speech from the prime minister is that what they're called yeah prime minister in new zealand saying like yeah we're gonna do it um from this very limited research that i am doing on google <laughs> it doesn't say anything about how it's changed now but i believe that most of the community members are calling it i'm gonna butcher the name a tiora mm. i had totally butchered that that sounds cool um that's how it's spelled mm. oh Aotearoa. Maybe. I don't know. I'd love to hear somebody say it that um, knows what they're saying. 
yeah so okay that's like that's an incredible feat because mm -hmm. it's basically acknowledging colonialism and saying hey we're gonna help you mm -hmm. like <laughs> destroy that mm -hmm. basically yeah do you have any other examples like it's, I'm, I'm trying to picture mm -hmm. systems when they're like oh we're about to build a bridge but then boom we do this first and then this first and then and then maybe the bridge is built like st do you have any ideas of like that um well there's some really cool mapping um projects that are happening mm -hmm. where um it basically allows the indigenous communities to create their own conservation mm. so okay. um like organization members i don't remember the organization i i read about in class but um we'll give the community members tools to create their own boundaries of where they hunt and where they live and everything and then they will go out with um you know like pen and paper and write the coordinates down and everything and they basically just create their own boundaries of where they want to or where they normally have their daily lives and what areas have water bodies where rivers are and then with all that data that they collected on the their own through volunteering and i think mostly through they try and, you know, give them incentives and stuff um, that is created and then put into like a governing body. So basically what happens is that since all of this indigenous land isn't on paper because, you know, it doesn't need to be since it's been theirs forever. Um, but, you know, governing bodies go off of that for policies and everything. Um, what happens is that that land is taken over by the governing bodies, even though it is their land. So by them creating their own boundaries of where they hunt and where they live that makes it more difficult for those governing bodies to take over mm. okay so, yeah so it's like combining that western idea yeah, of yeah boundaries cool. but also letting them do it themselves and letting them keep their culture so for like a really simplistic idea does it kind of give them their own state basically mm -hmm. like they it sounds like they create their own borders yeah but they're not physical borders they're but because they're on paper, they're physical borders, quote unquote. Yeah. yeah. They're according to the government, they are now physical borders. Gotcha. Gotcha. According yeah, to yeah. the Western government, they're now physical. Our borders. Western ideas, they're they're board those yeah. are their boundary lines mm -hmm. and everything. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the only way they can save their land, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. With the way that Well it helps integrate us with them. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it brings our technology there, but then gives them their land. And so it's a it's a good middle ground, mm -hmm. I it seems like. And yeah so projects like that those are really awesome and a lot of the times it's those local community members that um had the opportunity and to like go into some western higher mm -hmm. education that want to you know want to make sure that their communities mm -hmm. are safe and uh you know being treated properly so it's cool to see those community members like coming back and helping um and <laughs> luckily not being influenced by western society yeah. to just like we telling them it. where yeah. the borders should be yeah exactly yeah yeah um do you think that because the overall environment that we live in um shifts and changes right mm -hmm. temperatures change erosion changes geographical features change as from an environmental standpoint like just the way of life it somebody described it to me as like a snake it's always moving and in different areas and you kind of have to go with the flow is the old word you know but that whole idea so do you think that like 
decades down the line, once they finally get like these barriers kind of set out and everybody has their own squared away, nice place that they like, do you think that they might have a problem in the future of environmental shifts where that plot of, cause like having a plot of land, even though there's no physical structures, like a wall or anything, um, it's still rigid, you mm -hmm. know? And so what my, what I'm trying to get at, I guess, is like, would that rigidity then leave them vulnerable to the shifting of an environment, threatening them again? Does that make sense? So yeah, like will climate change basically destroy? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, or even just like, I don't know. For a decade, this particular region gets more rainfall, whether from climate change or not. But like more rainfall, and then there's there's always cascading events we don't plan on, you know. So there's maybe more floods or higher rivers, and land is threatened. Like, but so stuff like that. I guess. Do you think that would have to? What do you think of that? I guess. Uh, I think humans and other animals are extremely adaptable mm -hmm. and i think you know <laughs> those people are would be able to adapt to the circumstances like obviously there would probably be some movement we move all the time mm -hmm. i've lived in california my whole life and now i'm in colorado so mm -hmm. who's to say like people can't leave and go to a new place but humans are extremely adaptable mm -hmm. and being able to like the whole idea with indigenous knowledge and ind indigenous science with it being present and in the future and in the past is like, it's not just stuck in the past. Like the knowledge that was, I don't know, 20 years ago has adapted to climate it's, change now. It's contemporary. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's always changing. It's always adapting. Mm -hmm. And so like I mentioned earlier, like we give indigenous communities no credit for how extremely capable, not, not even saying the word capable is like degrading. How's that degrading? Because then you're saying that people think that, in, or then you're saying there's an option for indigenous people to be incapable. Any person can be incapable. Or incapable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But when it comes to like a whole community, that's just like. When they're born, they're incapable. And then they grow up and learn and traditions are passed on and then they become capable. But in this context, it's basically just saying that indigenous people don't know what they're doing when really. <laughs> But you said they do know what they're doing. I know. So I'm that's why I'm confused. I'm just, the, the word capable, I don't like using that word. because Because I did what I just said. It's making it seem like someone could be incapable and ignorant and unable to survive on their own or like survive within Western culture. But people can. I'll go back on that. People can. Wait, what? <laughs> people can be incapable. <laughs> I'm confused at what you're trying to get at. Well, like. It's like what what I maybe I'm hearing you wrong. Well, and, I know people can be incapable, but when you're talking about a whole community mm -hmm. and a whole identity, it's just rude and discriminatory. <laughs> but none of us have said that. <laughs> so I don't know why. No, because that's what that from that context, that's what that word is implying. If we took natives from Africa and put them in Canada, they would be incapable. They're capable to their particular setting, right? Yeah. And so that's all we're saying is they're they're very, very, really good and specialized at their particular environment. Mm -hmm. So I don't I don't see what's any problem with saying they're capable where in their indigenous lands. 
To be honest, I don't even remember what my first comment was about okay. saying the word capable. <laughs> I, you said you had a problem with using it. And I'm just well, confused yeah, why there's the a problem. When it comes to what you just mentioned of like being capable in your specific niche environment, mm -hmm. then yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But I, the way I used it, I just didn't like the way I used it. So I wanted to change the word. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> but I, I still don't understand why. Because like why you don't like it. Well, we just talked about it. Of, of, by saying a cert, one identity is incapable is just degrading. but we didn't we said they're capable no i know i know i'm not i'm not arguing about that i'm okay. just saying in general if you were to use the word incapable for one identity mm -hmm. then it's degrading all of the knowledge and all of the culture and everything of that identity but i i just did right when i said they would be incapable in canada i just did that <laughs> But that's not degrading because they are extremely capable I think it's in, a in their region. Context, though. Well, everything is contextual. <laughs> I'm just confused right I, now. Well, to I am honest. too. I'm trying to understand why it's like why you have a problem using that. Because of what I just said. When you're talking, but then what do you think about what I just said? When you're to talking that? about it in that aspect, it's it's comparing it to other indigenous knowledge. When I'm talking about it in the way I'm talking about it, it's comparing it to other identities, other races. What's the difference there? What do you mean, what's the difference? I've, I'm comparing two different cultures, well, two yeah. different races, two different, every, all that. But We're doing the same thing. it's comparing it to Western colonialism. No, I'm comparing it to a tribe in Canada that's living I right know. now. So why w you can't use Western there? I'm not using Western. No, I know. I'm agreeing with what you just said oh. about that. <laughs> what? Are... I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. <laughs> well, to circle back, why is it wrong to say that they can be incapable sometimes? It's when you're comparing indigenous communities to Western communities. That's when you shouldn't use the word incapable or capable. Oh, okay. That's what I was trying to get at. Okay. Yeah. But saying they're very capable in their environment, which is what you said yeah, I at think the beginning of this. Is that what I said about that? Yeah. Oh. And then you said, I have a problem with what I just said. I'm like, why? <laughs> you just gave them a compliment. That's why I was. we went down this whole tangent. Got it, got it, got it. I, I literally forgot You're what like, I was even saying. You're like, what I just said was ra <laughs> like really bad. And I was like, no, it was really it's nice just, of you to it's say. It's just like really understanding the words you use mm -hmm. in... Just in general, like I've through the indigenous classes that I've or like I took a class called indigenous knowledges where I learned about the binary w words that we use and all of that binary like language. What was the name of it? Indigenous indigenous knowledges. OK, best class I've ever taken at CSU. Yeah. Um, but with that, it's I learned a lot of like really understanding the words we use and the context and the meaning behind them, because a lot of the times within, I guess, like popular culture and everything now like we just kind of say words and don't really think about what they mean and mm. so that's why i wanted to rethink using the word capable okay. is there a better word that i could use to really understand what i'm saying really understand the meaning of the yeah. word capable that would uh respect those communities better that's yeah. that was the whole reason okay. behind okay. that yeah. and i think we should be very particular with our words yeah the, the better we can be more detailed and direct and um, what's the word I really like? Um, high resolute, very, very specific with our words. I think the better, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, 
we're going to have casual small talks sometimes. Yeah. But the more within these serious talks, more serious talks. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Yeah. We should. That's why I want to dig in deep yeah. with like why. Like uh-huh. I feel. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now um, that we went the crazy route to get to the whole circle. <laughs> um, you needed to go soon, right? Yeah. What time is it? Oh, we got. Yeah, a little bit. We got a little bit. Okay. I have a, in, a wrap up thing. I like to do. That's okay. why I was getting this out. But we'll wait on that. Finished. I'm really sad. I'm finishing my cold brew. Is it good? It's like okay. I've been trying to figure out my favorite cold brews mm. trader joe's vanilla not not good it's all right shout out tj's <laughs> <laughs> i didn't even think we we're going to talk about natural resources but this has been very interesting hey, to hear people I gotta love, know it's, no i like it and this will be up for people to hear too yeah which is cool there's just so many people who like well even me before i came into this like mm-hmm. literally no idea about any of these perspectives yeah yeah. And it's frustrating and disappointing that it doesn't play a major role in our policies mm-hmm. and governing bodies. Yeah. Like in more my domain, mm-hmm. which is nutrition and exercise is what I really like to play around with. This dude did this, took pictures, and it's a really cool book. If I think you'd like to at least skim it because he has, has pictures of like their teeth. And you see like people that lived more like – People of the same heritage that were on a Western diet, they were just in that, they were closer to Western societies and stuff like that, and they were more on their diet, destroyed teeth. And then you just go, I don't know, miles away, and a tribe that has stuck to their roots on how their ancestors dieted and everything, and have beautiful teeth, like perfect teeth. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we've, we saw this over a century ago. This guy saw this, studied it, wrote a book on it, and his book's still been passed down. And we have not understood that, you know? We still have rampant dental decay and stuff like that and all these problems. Not just with our teeth, but it gets into, like, even breathing. Like, he saw that people more on the Western diet was storing more and stuff like that. So it gets into how you breathe, which breathing fuels your body just like food does. And um, what was the other one? Like tuberculosis was one he always connected back to. So illness comes from this as well. And it's just like, this has been around. Mm-hmm. Why why has it taken so long? But it, it, I think steeping on the idea of like, why isn't this here is not as useful as just getting back to those roots. I think you it's know? important to recognize why it isn't here though. Mm. Because by recognizing that, oh, it's not taught in... Uh, high schools or middle schools or elementary schools really just goes to show like how uh, inaccurate a lot of the history we learn is mm-hmm. and so by getting to the roots of it I feel like that's how we could build it up better mm-hmm. and even saying things like going back to understanding the meaning of our words when uh-huh. you said oh he goes miles away to find these people who have different types of teeth just by saying miles away makes it seem like indigenous people aren't present in our daily lives. Because indigenous people, they're not like... Well, they aren't. Says who? I haven't seen anybody today. That's what I mean. What do you mean? Like I haven't, you haven't seen, seen an indigenous, indigenous person today. Well, we're in Fort Collins, Colorado. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. They're not in our daily... What do you mean by daily lives? Meaning, Maybe we're using like by saying that, oh, they're miles away makes it seem like indigenous people are isolated in their own like little island and like have their own... Uh, 
fancy romantic connection with nature like that's playing back to the whole romanticism yeah. that's not what i'm using it as no i know okay i know but just like acknowledging uh the words of like miles away makes it seem like for someone who uh maybe is more has, of a casual listener yeah who like hasn't you know had the opportunity to learn about mm-hmm. these things um thinking oh miles away means oh they're in africa or mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. oh they're on this small little island mm-hmm. and have their own isolated okay i see thing. what you mean yeah yeah so okay. it's like really acknowledging and getting into our heads mm-hmm. western white people <laughs> that indigenous people are all around us we're mm-hmm. not just like that's our colon call colonized views is mm-hmm. that we have taken over there's no more indigenous people they're all gone they're part of the past yeah it's like yeah. we are li- like indigenous people are I, here i see what you, mean. <laughs> you know they're what here. i mean okay yeah it's um, just we're you know colorado or in fort collins it's i'm gonna miss a few but arapaho utes and cheyenne i think there's a few other there's one of the communities P. it's like pueblo isn't puebloans or something uh, like yeah that? they're probably well they're probably in southern colorado okay um but yeah like those community members were here we just mm-hmm made them leave yeah yeah. (laughs) white settlers made them leave so it's you know acknowledging that we are on native land right now Mm -hmm. and there's a really cool map um it's called the native land project and the map shows basically the boundaries of different tribes within north america and south america i believe or actually no around the world it's a really cool map because it totally like destroys western governing boundaries Mm -hmm. (laughs) of what the world looks like Mm -hmm. um so that's a really cool website to look li- look at. They have a lot of really cool projects. Yeah. yeah. What was that called? Uh, I believe it's called the Native Land Project. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I th- he has like an intro and stuff like that. But um, one of the first chapters, he like opens it up with a photo of this beautiful landscape of one of the places, regions he was visiting. I think this was somewhere near the, sw- the Swedes. I think this was people of a of Swedish descendant, I Mm -hmm. guess. Um, And he talks about how he traveled through words. So it was like, I was trying to picture it, but how I always pictured it was like, and he said like these try, this particular tribe was like deep in mountains. And so like, as you went up this, I think it was a Canyon or like mountainous range as you went up, like, you saw like technology basically like wither away and it just kept on getting more and more to that more um, primitive state, I guess, to use that word or indigenous, technology. indigenous. That's a better word. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so you saw like gravel or paved roads go to dirt roads from dirt roads to trails and stuff like that. He would describe and it was really cool because like it is like a di- there. what I'm referring to is like a distance of like he had to travel to get to these different mm-hmm. areas and it was really cool because he described them just like slowly being uninfluenced by western yeah society. yeah where you'd like be in western society at 1930 mm-hmm. and then people of more of the uh having that genetic descendant but then being in more of having more of the technologies of the time and what came with that was the diet of the time and then transitioning out of that and then less of the technology and less of the diet. And yeah, he does a lot more describing of the environment than I remember, than I would have expected, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. Like, yeah. I think he would like a, maybe like a chapter out of it or something like that. It's Definitely. really cool. Yeah. And he does many different tribes. 
I just listened to the one um, or read the one up in Canada, mm-hmm. and that was really interesting and cool. Because they were more of like an all-meat diet, you know, and then other tribes are more like vegetable, meat, dairy diet and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. all the, and all these diets work for us too, which is cool to see, mm-hmm. you know, um, when you go back to the, um, indigenous roots, you know, um, what were your ending things that you want? Think of a question you want to ask anybody. Oh. It can be anything you want. And as you think about that, the previous person that was on the podcast has a question for you. Okay. They didn't know it was you. Okay. Um, sometimes it's very serious. Sometimes it's very light. Where would you rather vacation in the mountains or the beach? Ooh, see, that's hard because I'm literally going kind of on vacation for a month at the beach. Yeah. Turks and Caicos. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks summer abroad. <laughs> um, I think it'll be fun to go there again. Go to or, the beach. Cause I haven't like been to the beach in a while since, you know, Oh, you just went outside uh, since I'm from California. Mm-hmm. But um, I also love the mountains. I love like going to lakes and stuff. So I don't mind mountains either. Yeah. That's a really hard question. So you're living in the mountains right now. Kind of. So a yeah. vacation Foot to hills. you would be the, bi- the, the beach, beach, right? Yeah, I guess so. Where? Let me maybe ask a different question. Where do you imagine like yourself settling down? Probably more in the mountains. More in the mountains. Okay. Especially in areas. So what I really love about Colorado is like... Well, I guess all of Colorado is that all the natural areas around here, because then Los Angeles, like you don't get that. You get like a park, mm-hmm. but the fact that I literally have a green belt behind my house is incredible. Like there's trails around the neighborhood that I can go, and there's like a stream and everything, and it just makes it so much more fun to live here. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. A question. Oh, okay. Important question. It can be super serial, <laughs> or not at all. Would you rather take a piece? Of the middle portion of the baked brownie or the corner? Alrighty. Thank you, Taylor. <laughs> yeah. I'll see you.